listening has changed. Here's what I mean. See, if you grew up listening to old school ballplayers, you did this thing called obey them. That was the goal of the younger hitter. Listen and obey the old timer. Listen to Willie Mays. Listen to Joe DiMaggio. Listen to Eddie Murray. Listen. Hello, and welcome to... Why are we talking about rabbits? Because this is that podcast where, well, you know, we just try to have a conversation about heavy things and we try to do it lightly because so many things are in flux these days. And I know that people say, well, they're not really in flux just because it's like now, it's always in flux. Um, maybe. I guess that's what we're trying to figure out. So we use contemporary phenomena. We use philosophy, theology, hopefully a little fun, and we investigate the old world, new world divide on, why are we talking about rabbits? This is episode 55. This is tentatively called Baseball and the Collapse of Civilization. This is exciting. A podcast about baseball and the end of civilization. That's a lot of heavy things. And lightly, done lightly. Andrew's not here with me again, but Andrew, out there in the netherworld, you would be scared if you were here. I think you would. I feel your fear. Andrew's our producer, back in Secaucus. That's a baseball. If you know baseball or basketball or something like that, that's where they do like replay stuff. Back in Secaucus. So back there, wherever that is in the world, Andrew is editing. Hi, Andrew. Hi, everybody. Let's have some fun. First of all, just there's some really cool comments coming in of late. People talking about some pretty profound things. Um. One of the things is this culture collapse concept. And so it made me thinking. And then I started watching some baseball, which I love to do. Go Mets. And essentially what happened is, is the brain started working on this idea. And I wanted to get a good guest because I don't really know about this. I mean, enough. But I couldn't get a good guest this week. So I'm going to shoot this one myself. And here we go. Because it's fascinating, I think, this story well told. So, a collapse of civilization. First of all, I mean, who doesn't like this conversation? Like, people do this a lot on the internet, making these equivalents. You know, Hollywood loves it. Like, they've perfected the idea that impending doom is near. And I think if you really look at the phrase impending doom, what it really is is our own impending death, right? That's coming. And that gets translated in all kinds of ways and then it gets put into our progeny and like are they going to be okay because I have fear for my own death and then it gets put into cultural terms and then it gets put into like epochs and millennial millenniums and and this is what history is and this is what human beings do we want to know how we're going to live on into the eternal future because we can feel the impending doom which is our own death and so these kind of conversations strike a chord but I'm not here to make the all sad and scary, but I will tell you this, that baseball is undergoing a change that tells me 
they might lose their own civilization called, I don't know, the major leagues. And it has so much to do with what's going on now. Yeah, so here's the thing. Strikeouts. Yeah. So whether you're a mom who takes your son out to play or takes your daughter out to play softball or you're, I don't know, a single person trying to find a date, I think you get what a strikeout is. It's bad. Strikeouts mean you didn't hit the ball. It means you whiffed. That's another bad word in like the English lexicon. Whiff. You're a whiffer. Right? Well, this year is a really, really bad year for baseball if whiffing is a bad thing. Check this out. This year in April, there were more than 1,000 more strikeouts than hits. That's the largest gap in any month in Major League history. So if things go according to schedule, this year will be the 15th straight year that the overall Major League strikeout record, just people striking out, will once again be broken 15 years in a row. So year after year, for the last 15 years, Major League Baseball players are striking out more than they did at any time in the history of the game. So if some of you, if you know baseball out there, say, no, it's the spin rate, John, the pitchers. Yeah, maybe 15 years in a row. That's what? So in 2021, right now, the strikeout rate is almost 25%. So every fourth batter that goes up strikes out. In 1968 a year they call the year of the pitcher. That means pitchers were dominant, okay? That's the same year they made the pitching mound shorter. So for those of you who don't know baseball, the pitching mound is elevated. It gives the pitcher, you know, like when you're attacking something, it's always good to attack from higher. The pitcher is attacking the hitter in that sense from high up. Well, they lowered the mound in 1968 because they were like, whoa, these pitches are dominating. Well, what was the strikeout rate the year 1968, they lowered the mound and everyone freaked out. 15%. It's 25% right now. They might have to get rid of the mound altogether. They might have to pitch from below the mound. Maybe they should dig a hole out for pitchers. Yeah. In the 1980s, check this out. There were, on average, nine strikeouts per game. Now, there are 18 per game. This is one of my favorite stats. Yeah, this part of the show, a little history. In game seven of the 1960 World Series, that's the Pirates beat the Yankees 10 to 9 in this game. There were no strikeouts. Last year in the first game of the playoffs, the Reds played the Braves. There were 37 strikeouts. What? What? So in 1960, in a World Series game, no strikeouts. Last year, in a playoff game, 37 strikeouts. Guys, that's more than four strikeouts an inning. There's only six outs in any given inning. Bottom and top of the inning. Six outs. Those cats were striking out four times each inning. It's a lot of strikeouts. Tony Gwynn, one of my favorite all-time players, played for the Padres, one of the greatest hitters ever. He said, I hate striking out. I'd rather hit a one hopper to the pitcher 
and embarrassedly run down to first base. Gwynn never struck out more than 40 times in a season. In April, Joey Gallo and Eugenio Suarez struck out 40 times in a month. Yeah. In one month, they struck out more than Tony Gwynn struck out his whole life in a season. Babe Ruth never struck out 100 times in a season. Lou Lou Brock, great player, 1970s. He sat out the final game because he had 99 strikeouts and he didn't want to have it on his record that he struck out 100 times. And here's my favorite, Nolan Ryan, one of the greatest pitchers of all times. Guy throwing 100 miles an hour, try hitting that. He said, I loved the guys who would sweat their asses off just to put a ball in play off of me, just to touch the ball when I threw to them. It used to be, he says, the ultimate embarrassment was to walk back to the dugout and rack your helmet after a strikeout. That dude. He's a tough Texan. The game is changing. And I think the reason for the change is a lot like the reasons our culture is changing. And that reason, or those reasons, well, I think it boils down to we don't talk anymore and greed. So listen to this from a very good article in the Harvard Business Review. We don't talk anymore and greed. I'm feeling these. Let's walk through it. Here's the article, Harvard Business Review. This is a business magazine talking about baseball. These days, quality baseball data deserves deference. Personal experience does not. Baseball's most successful franchises commit to acting on their data and analytics. The data is not there to justify or ratify their traditionally made decisions. This is my favorite quote. If granular data isn't continuously driving team and player performance day by day, something is wrong. I love that quote because it's not just data. If data isn't driving your day-to-day choices, something's wrong. No, they said if granular data, yikes, granular data, like, well, here's some data. Okay, Uh, if I don't get to Lowe's grocery store by eight, then I can't pick up the food that I want to eat tomorrow for breakfast. Is that, that's, um, no, I think the data would be like road, uh, like it would be, my map tells me I've got seven minutes to get there. But granular data would be like, you can get there faster if you take this route in six minutes and 31 seconds as opposed to seven minutes. Is that granular data? Like, what's granular data? Now, I know somebody out there, a Qantas, Lewin, like, this is the problem with the world. This guy is the problem with, this rabbit's person is the problem with the world. But I don't know how to explain it. Most of the world doesn't live their life by granular data. But baseball, and I think we'll see um, Western civilization, has moved toward granular data. So 
how does granular data drive this crazy increase in strikeouts? This gets really, really, really deep. Back in the early 2000s, the Oakland A's and a guy named Billy Bean. If you like movies, you can go see Brad Pitt pretend to be Billy Bean. Well, the A's and Billy Bean figured out that it was harder to string together, say, three hits than hoping for one big hit. It was hard to string together three hits. They started to experiment with this by encouraging their minor leagues to teach a new type of swing, a harder swing and a higher swing. So if you know baseball, they wanted to elongate the swing and create a type of angle so that backspin would be the the, the notion uh, of the swing. It would create backspin on the ball when you hit it because the data had told them that backspin elevates the ball and allows it to travel in that home run arc. Well, everybody knew that already, but now the data is saying that. So the idea was to elevate the ball so it could leave the park. If you know baseball, everybody was taught since 1900. Baseball's old, guys. Baseball's, what, 1860s it started. The whole concept was to swing down on the ball top hand over, hit the ball on a line drive. That's the way baseball players talk. Now it was long swing up. Well, here's something really important. The A's did okay. Not great. They never won a World Series with this concept. But they did okay. They got better. And here's the key. They got better and spent less. Yeah. And from there, their geeky math-driven baseball calculations, well... They took off. Other teams adopted them, especially mid-level spenders who wanted to be competitive while not breaking the bank. Well, not even touching the bank. If you like the Tampa Bay Rays, any Rays fans out there, you like this kind of team management. Well, most everybody's doing it now, except for, say, like the Yankees. Yeah, they don't really do that. If you're a Yankees fan, your team just spends a ton of money. And then wins, kind of. Different conversation. As Billy Ball caught on, teams wondered if this mathematical approach to baseball could go further, like like a lot further. Was it possible to harness capital and turn the clubhouse into a type of internet of things? Internet of baseball things. Could you create a hermetically sealed baseball Shangri-La where like an all-seeing eye took in every swing, every throw, right? Could the all-seeing mechanical eye like reteach and rewind all of these moments so players could be literally in their own head all the time? Could you rewire baseball principles by using data? Well, I don't know if you can because we'll get into that, but guess what? They sure did try. And it reminds me of John Stewart. Did you see him recently on Colbert or something? I saw this clip. It was circulating on the interwebs. Basically, he sits down and says, you know what? Science screwed this up, and now science hopefully can fix it. And everyone sort of went, what? Science screwed what up? He's talking about COVID. It's very funny. Go see it. But basically, John Stewart, it says, if science wants to do something, it's going to do it. And yeah, that's what these GMs decided. We're doing it. I mean, it's data. Let's go. So 
Every fourth batter strikes out now. Nobody bunts. If you don't know what bunting is, it's a little baby swing. Like a little baby swing, baby swing that allows players on the base paths to move up, which is important. It gets them closer, closer to scoring a run. Well, the new tech ball guys tell us a run's not good enough. What you want to go is for all three runs by hitting a home run. So you get it? So a strikeout has gone from, look, you failed, to, looky there, you tried. Which, I don't know, is fine unless you are listening to the players that came before you. Now, this is where tradition and you don't listen anymore comes into play. You see... No players and no coaches in the Billy Bean beginning era. Well, none of them thought swinging and missing with the tie-in run on second and no one out was a good thing, ever. Go all the way back. No one coached that way. The players themselves, the coaches themselves, could not say those words confidently. Go ahead and strike out, kid. But now striking out's a good try. See, this is where... Listening has changed. Here's what I mean. See, if you grew up listening to old school ballplayers, you did this thing called obey them. That was the goal of the younger hitter. Listen and obey the old timers. Listen to Willie Mays. Listen to Joe DiMaggio. Listen to Eddie Murray. Listen. But not just listen, obey. Now, nobody could really obey all the way. No one can all the way obey someone so good at baseball that they make their living doing it. But you tried to obey because there was something in their word, in the tradition that you trusted. I mean, it was coming from a guy who did the thing you were trying to do, and he did it well. And those guys in 2000, 2010, they never said, don't worry about striking out with the tying run at second base and nobody out. They never said that. But guess what? Billy Bean needed them to say that. The guy they made the movie about needed them to say that. He needed them to say the data don't lie. He needed those wise sages to say the data don't lie. Right. And that's really interesting. Right? It's really interesting. He needed to change culture. So voices of reason in clubhouses, they weren't listening to Billy Bean, but they began to because they started to see that he was saving money. And that became a reason to listen. So GMs started to listen, and then they started to staff their minor leagues and their major leagues with folks who had never even played baseball. Yeah, they hired coaches who hadn't even played baseball. General managers at the time, called these people conduits, a person who knew enough baseball to get by, but one who knew enough about computers to be a game changer. Listen to this quote from the Harvard Business School article. Quote, because these conduits, those are the the new hires who don't, who can barely swing a baseball bat, they can do enough. Because these conduits are critical, baseball's top franchises are making sure that coaches in the organization are culturally compatible. As one Houston Astros executive said, we decided that in the minor leagues, we would hire an extra coach at each level. The requirement for that coach 
was that he had to be able to hit a fungo, throw a little batting practice, and program in SQL. SQL? Yeah. SQL means Structured Query Language. And what's that? Well, Structured Query Language is programming language used to manage complex data relationships in order to produce manageable processes used in the administration of an organization. What? Baseball? Wait, I thought, what? That you need to be able to use structured programming language to manage complex data. What? Yeah. So you see, starting about 15 years ago, Major League Baseball general managers began something fascinating. They underwent a radical reformation, replete with protests, a protesting reformation. Sound familiar? Certain wise voices were being replaced by certain wise voices. Inherited wisdom was being replaced by uninherited data points. And then something even crazier happened. Individual data points started to get consumed by individual people. The players themselves, individuals on teams, started chasing after new data points, the new metrics. You see... They desired individuals, especially individuals who had the money, right? Individual players. Your first baseman, he started to desire better cameras, better data-driven insights. They spent hours in the offseason with independent baseball gurus training them in tech factories. And guess what happened? Then college kids started doing it and high school kids. Players in high school began to take up the trend. They started talking and thing, using phrases like KPI, key performance indicators. These are in base, high school baseball teams, right? And then they began to demand tech-savvy coaches at the high school level. And then even at the little league level. So who disappears? Yeah. Your little donut-eating volunteer fireman coach. Yeah. Come on, dude. You need to learn some SQL. The whole concept gets shifted into baseball culture all the way down to Little League. Just ask people who play baseball out there. You're nodding your heads if you're taking your kids to practice. You know what I'm talking about. It's also gotten expensive for them. But guess who's saving money? General managers in the major leagues. Today's players and coaches, this is a quote from the same article, must be open to data-driven analytics. They need to recalibrate their attitudes not just their aptitudes, in order to be competitive, unquote. Which is all kind of interesting, except something odd is happening. Here's the collapse part. All the strikeouts mean that there is very little action in a baseball game. Uh, no offense, but if you're watching baseball to watch a home run, you have to wait about, I don't know, for 27 at-bats. So if you're sitting around waiting for a home run, like if that's what baseball is to you, you're going to wait something like six innings or an hour and a half, maybe two, to see one home run. Yeah. So baseball's losing, okay, its mojo, even as it follows the science and becomes more, I don't know, what, um, efficient? It's losing its heart even as it builds its muscles. And that's like civilization, especially ours. We're all in on the data. And now individuals, each one in their own 
interweb world just chases their own data points, listening to their own data experts. Nobody plays on the same team. This is a problem, right? We're not hearing the voices of people who can't tell you about data points so much, but they do this other thing called life. In other words, they're old and they've done this thing called life, the thing we're all trying to improve, but we don't listen to them. Like the independent first baseman who's chasing his baseball guru into some baseball, like suburban, I don't know, internet of baseball things. We're all on our own. Yeah. Biometric software, edutronic cameras, KPIs. We're all doing that, but we're not listening to Pedro Martinez or Eddie Murray or Willie Mays. Just tell us, remember the time back in Yankee Stadium? Remember that? I remember when I was facing Jim Palmer. Yeah, nobody's got time for you, dude. I got to figure out my KPIs for this week. My key performance indicators. I don't know. I could be wrong. Maybe it's not a full collapse. But baseball's changing. Now, an evolutionary theory guy, a modern person, is going to say, yeah, it's called evolution, dude. But is it evolution when you're in charge of your own volition-ish thing called change? If I'm choosing willfully my own change, is it still something like Darwinian evolution at that point? It's weird. I think it's more like principle assertion. We're all being asked to assert certain principles, and the ones you assert matter. Ha! And baseball has asserted a certain principle, and now I think the game itself, the thing, the love thing that people equate with baseball, the thing that they call their beloved game, well, that might be taking a hit. We'll see. It could be that it's just changing. Shani Skagi Marjos to everybody out there. That means to you the victory. That's often said at the KB table in Georgia. That's our pod for today. Thanks for coming. Watar is produced by Andrew Schwark and Daniel Paternos. I will say this for those guys. They put together some pretty cool stuff, including our Wednesday night classes, which you really should come to. You really should come to them. We're talking about, well, this Wednesday, to, uh, tomorrow when this pod comes out, we're going to uh, bring this character on and talk about conspiracies and how they work. This character happens to be my brother, and he's going to talk about what conspiracies look like in the old world, in the old Christian East, and how maybe they're real. It's going to be interesting. That class is offered to our do- to our donors, our recorn donors. This podcast is offered free to you. We're First Things Foundation. We're out there trying to create momentum for local change makers in some of the world's toughest neighborhoods. Our goal is to love our neighbors and then help them build their dreams. Much peace to you. Much love. Gagi Marjos. Au revoir. Nakwamdis. Hasta luego. Kambufo. What's another one? Nawe. Nawe is a good one. That's, that's a... Haitian Creole. Nahweh, peace out.